you the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast that tinkers under the hood of the paranormal. We are indeed. Um, today I wanted to talk about what I'm calling objects of evil. So these are physical objects and artifacts that appear to be haunted or cursed. So we're not talking about your normal ghosts, we're not talking about haunted houses. These are something, an object that has some kind of paranormal activity associated with it. So kind of like your Annabelle doll kind of thing. Exactly. And in fact, we will come on to talk about the Annabelle Don. That's very probably the most famous example. So I think we will talk about that one, definitely. These um, freak me out. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I, as we go on, I think we'll talk more about that. I think what's interesting about this compared to the normal ghosts are somehow having something physical, an object makes it more scary. I think it's the fact that it can transfer around, it's not limited to one place. Um, there is something intrinsically spooky about this subject, for me, probably more than a lot of other paranormal subjects, I, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I've done a, a little bit of digging around about how these things work, and from my research, there seems to be three types of this phenomena. Um, and I found a very good uh, article by a woman called Karen Fraser, who's a paranormal investigator in Washington State. And she's also a, a reporter for the Paranormal Underground. Um, interestingly, she started off as a mainstream journalist and covered a couple of paranormal stories um, and was so struck by the unexplained nature of them that she then turned her attentions full-time to investigating the paranormal. So she's quite an interesting woman. Um, but she uh, describes these objects. She, she talks about three different types uh, of ways that a physical object can have some kind of paranormal activity attached to it. So if I quote her, some objects have a kind of energy attached to them that manifests as what you would call a haunting. What par parapsychologists refer to as a haunting is like what you or I would think of as a recording. Residual energy is trapped in whatever the object is, and it replays itself. There's nothing intelligent about it, it just plays the same thing over and over again. In addition, some people may be able to read the objects that are not haunted at all, or an object that's not haunted at all. Fraser says that actually a form of psychic work that people called psychometry, where you hold an object and you read off it, she explains, a lot of people mistake that for an object being haunted. For example, I used to have an antique piano. It was a hundred years or older in my house. When I would sit down and play it, I would see flashes of people who had played this piano before me and where they lived. It's not necessarily that there's anything active going on with the piano, but I'm touching that object and somehow I'm reading the energy off it. Now, the first thing that jumped into my mind is that sounds a bit like stone tape theory to me. Right, right. <clears throat> so stone tape theory, that is, I mean, I suppose the most common thing you would say is that's in a haunted house or a haunted location where people see an entity or uh, some sort of manifestation or noise doing the same thing day in day out and like you said there's no intelligence to it it's like there's a tape machine playing back an activity that had happened in the past right it's like um somehow like the walls of a building or whatever have absorbed some kind of energy like a photograph or a or a tape recording and just kind of play it back so, so from, from this description, there seems to be two types. There's the one, like you're saying, that just plays the same thing over and over again, like a, I don't know, like a paranormal meme, I guess. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and the second one is more where certain people, I guess not all of us, can touch an object and kind of get some impression of its history. But both of those sound like effectively a recording right yeah they do so that would be kind of different to what you see in when you see a doll move or something there's that hasn't ever experienced anything that would 
cause it to replay something really it it, it feels like that would be an intelligence activity well, exactly. And actually, uh, Karen Fraser goes on in the article I read to discuss that. So the third type, um, uh, she says, sometimes you can have objects that actually have what people would assume to be a spirit attached to them, which has some intelligence. So that would be like if you were dead and decided you wanted to hang out with your favourite dress or your favourite chair. Uh, she says she still calls it an energy because she doesn't know that what we experience paranormally is necessarily the ghost of a dead person. But effectively, rather than this kind of stone tape theory-esque meme that's kind of replaying itself, some objects actually attract a spirit that haunts that object. So that's the kind of more extreme... So, and I thought today we might focus on that because you know some most of the stories you come across seem to be this version, the third kind, which are a spirit attaching themselves to an object. Yeah, I mean, and and does she think that the spirit that's attracted to them is it in the conventional way that it's like a, a deceased human being, or does she think that it's some sort of other entity, or is it a mix? From the article, she seems to be... She doesn't believe it's a dead person. She doesn't go into exactly what she believes, but from my reading of it, I took that... She, all she describes is an energy, so whether that could be uh, an energy coming from a parallel universe or, you know, some kind of... You know, I think in a lot of the hauntings, even some of the ones that we've discussed, there's a lot of talk of portals... And I think we've discussed it previously that that doesn't necessarily mean you're going into the white light and it's kind of taking you off into some heavenly place of the, the dead. Mm. You know, it could be to some kind of universe that we don't under, understand or some kind of phenomenon that we understand. But she, she seems, which I think was interesting about her considering that she is a paranormal investigator, she is not convinced or necessarily believes in ghosts or the spirits of the dead. She just calls it an energy, which I thought was quite interesting. So she's collected these stories, has she? Uh, she, she well, some of the stories I'm going to come on to, and I think we're going to start with the one that you mentioned earlier, which was Annabelle the Doll, mm. which a lot of people know. Um, there are a lot of places you can find these stories, Um but I am going to focus uh, on a book I read from an author called Terence Zepka. Uh, the book's called Spookiest Objects, Discover the World's Most Haunted Objects. Because it's quite a nice summary of some of the bigger examples of this third type of phenomena. Um, uh, and there, there, are, there are a ton of stories. So I'm only going to kind of pick out a couple of them to talk about. Um, but let's start with Annabelle. So I guess people who are listening to this may know it's the doll that features in the film The Conjuring. And there's been a number of spin-offs, I think. There's, there's kind of, I don't know, two or three Conjuring movies now. And I think Annabelle the doll has got her own movie that, that's recently out. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Now, the original film, The Conjuring, does kind of follow the... Um, original story quite closely um i guess the biggest change in the movie compared to the real life story is the doll itself so the doll in the movie is you know basically a spooky kind of uh, i want to say kind of victorian style porcelain doll it's got a sour face yeah and when you see photos and you know if you've not seen them i suggest you do a google of the real annabelle doll it's it's a kind of it's more like a kind of rag doll I, I i'm thinking of the kind of doll you would expect to see in bagpuss but then we are showing our age again ben yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's the kind of doll stormzy might have <laughs> yes yeah or, or one of your rappers yeah exactly um and I guess the reason they changed it in the movie that A, a kind of ragdoll doesn't look particularly scary and also you can't give it different facial expressions. So <laughs> I, I, I can understand why they kind Not of changed. Not uh, without re-sewing it 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get on to the story, the actual story itself. And you can see why this was made into a movie because the actual story, just reading it, it's just, it, it, it's probably scarier than the film itself. So in 1970, a student called Donna received a doll from her mother who had bought the doll at a second-hand store. Donna named the doll Annabelle. Donna and her roommate, who were studying at college, were convinced that the doll would move when they left to go to lectures and when they left the apartment. So when they came home, the doll seemed to have moved mysteriously. Not only was the doll repeatedly found in new locations, it was found in different positions as well. Sometimes the doll would be in a sitting position, and other times it was standing on its legs beside the dining room table. This seems seemingly impossible given the autonomy of the doll. And I think if you if you do Google and see it, you know, I can't see how that doll can stand up on its own, but apparently it did. Um, sometimes they return to find the doll sitting with its arms folded in a most unnatural way. It got so the doll was never where Donna left it. Once they deliberately placed the doll on the couch before leaving for their classes in the morning. When they returned home, they found it on Donna's bed and the door to the bedroom was closed, which Donna distinctly remembers leaving open. So, having kind of read a bit of the story, it seems like uh, things started off almost jokey, that they kind of found this to be a kind of spooky thing, but quite funny. They didn't take it too seriously at first. I didn't realise that the first owner of the doll is, as well in this story from where it picks up it's not a little girl it's a it's basically an adult woman yeah effectively yeah yeah and her roommate yeah right right and and where did you say the mother bought the doll from uh it doesn't say i I didn't say in the article i read where the doll was bought from but it was a second-hand store so it wasn't a it wasn't a new doll It, it definitely had some history what that history is i don't know um so as things progressed it kind of gets a bit spookier So they would leave for their college lectures or wherever they were going. Uh, When they returned home, they started to find notes written on pieces of paper, uh, which resembled parchment. These scraps of paper had only a few words scribbled on them, such as help us, and once it had help Lou, which is quite interesting because the girls had a friend called Lou who, uh, who used to come and kind of visit and stay over at the apartment. Uh, and he had uh, a scary experience one night when he was there. This is quite chilling. So their friend called Lou, uh, who'd come round the apartment, he heard a strange noise. Bravely, he crept into the bedroom where the noise had come from and peered into every nook and cranny. He didn't see anything amiss, but he felt a strange sensation. He spun around and saw Annabelle, the doll, in the corner but he had seen her on the bed when he had first entered the room. The strange sensation he felt changed to a burning pain in his chest, and he clutched at his chest and felt claw marks. Looking down his shirt, he saw seven huge, ugly claw marks across his chest. The next day, they mysteriously disappeared. Blimey. Yeah, you kind of... I'm not sure I'd go back after that, but he does. So so that sort of... He's being attacked by an unseen entity there. So it's almost like there's an unseen entity manipulating the doll, but it's it's also there in its own right. Correct, yeah. Well, Well, interestingly, you say that because Donna then enlists the help of a psychic. Uh, This psychic tells her... Uh, she told them that the body of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgin, which is quite interesting because Donna herself had named the doll Annabelle. The, do, the doll Annabelle. Mm. Um, so this, this seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgin was attached to the doll. She had been found uh, murdered in a field where their apartment building now stood. Her murder was never solved. The psychic believed that the spirit of this deceased child had attached itself to the doll. Donna and her roommate thought perhaps the spirit was just looking for peace, so they gave the spirit permission to stay. Which, bad move. (laughs) Never do that. 
yeah, I kind of, I, 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 like, I don't know much about psychics, but you kind of think the psychic would be kind of raising their hands and going, no, 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 don't do that, don't yeah. do that, don't do that. Yeah. No, please go away. Yeah. Well, th- after they invited the spirit to stay, unsurprisingly, things got worse. Um, and activity increased. Uh, I've kind of cut the story down short a bit, but I'm just kind of, these these are some of the kind of highlights, I guess, if you want to use that word. So this star, Annabelle, obviously took a dislike to this guy, Lou, who kept coming around the flat. And one night, uh, Lou was nearly strangled by an unseen presence. And the, at this stage, things were getting so weird in their apartment and the activity was just going crazy that uh, Donna um, got in contact with the church. Now, there was various people from the church who came round and did all this stuff. Finally, someone from their church contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, Oh, yeah. They're the current owners, right? That's correct, yes. I I think Ed is now dead, but Lorraine is still alive. Um, I mean, maybe you can, you you know about these guys, maybe you can give give our listeners a little bit of background on who they are. Well, they run, as far as I know, they run a paranormal um, or haunted objects museum in the States, and they tour some of the objects around. Correct. And they've also been involved in a number of paranormal... They're, they're kind of, I guess, they're kind of your go-to... They were the go-to people if you had a big paranormal experience. So uh, the uh, I'm sure many of you have seen the Amateurville Horror. They were involved in that case. So that's based on a real case, and they were involved in that. There's various hauntings that they've been involved in but from stuff I've read about them I think in their opinion this story about Annabelle is the spookiest and you know for want of a better word most evil that they've come across wow so what happens what happens next so this thing is well the presence with it it's it's scratching well, this one individual, it's strangling somebody. Yeah. How far yeah. does it go? Well, I think this is why Ed and Lorraine Warren got involved, because I think Donna, her flatmate, and obviously Lou, who seemed to be the getting the worst end of this, um, needed some help. So so the Warrens arrived. They believed that it, it wasn't the ghost of this young child that the previous psychic had talked about. They believed uh, a demon had attached itself to the doll. And the reason for the attacks were it was now seeking a human host. So a demon had attached itself to this doll, Annabelle, and was now trying to make its way into a kind of real human body rather than a doll. We've seen this before, right? The demon is pretending to be something that it isn't. Yeah, it's funny. When I read that thing, it did remind me of... um, I think when we did Nikki's story, we talked a little bit about that as well, that, you know, deviously pretending to be something. That yes. Some, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm just a harmless little girl. I, can I please have permission to stay? Certainly. Oh, right. You've just given permission to a demon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Uh, the Warrens, basically, Ed and uh, Ed and his wife, basically decided to form a, or get the, the church involved and complete a exorcism on the house. And after they did that, they decided to take the doll from the apartment, uh, which I guess Donna and her flatmate were probably pleased to see the back of. Interestingly, uh, on their journey home. They nearly wrecked several t- t- several times as an unseen presence seemed to take control of their car. They pulled over at the roadside after Ed struggled to keep control of the vehicle. The couple doused the doll in holy water, which seemed to calm it down. Upon arriving home, Ed brought the doll into his house and sat it on his desk. As he sat down, he noticed the doll was levitating. In the next couple of weeks, the doll began moving around their home, so very much as it had done in the apartment. They called their local priest, someone called Father Bradford, to come and exercise their home. 
Believing it was foolishness, but willing to indulge his parishioners, Father Bradford promptly arrived. When he was shown the doll, he said to it, You're just a doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone. He insisted on removing the doll from the Warrens' house and taking it with him. He was involved in a near-fatal accident on his way home. Inexplicably, his brakes failed at a busy intersection and he was nearly fatally killed. Yeah, this isn't a little girl. This is a mechanic. So, as you uh, as you alluded to earlier, Ben, the Warrens had a special case built to secure Annabelle. The case has never been opened and the doll has never harmed anyone else, apart from an interesting event that occurred. Uh, so, as you said, the Warrens have this occult museum where they have various artefacts. A couple came to visit the Warrens Occult Museum. After hearing Ed explain the story of Annabelle, the young man reacted strangely. Obviously doubting the doll could do him any harm, he banged on the case and challenged the evil spirit to come and get him. Doll. Yeah. Shocked and frightened by the man's action, Ed asked him to leave immediately. He warned him that he didn't know what he was doing and that it was not wise to provoke an evil spirit. Laughing, the young man and his girlfriend raced up the road on their motorbike. Within a few minutes, the man had lost control of the bike and crashed into a tree. He died instantly and his girlfriend was badly injured and spent a year recovering from her injuries. Mm. Yeah, I mean, demons are going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So, what's the relationship? I mean... So the demon is kind of the, the the idea is the demon is using the doll as like a halfway house before it jumps into a human. That that seems to be the theory, yeah. So it goes for something that's human shaped. I mean, why not use a mug as a halfway house to a human? Yeah, it's interesting that and and reading a lot of these stories, the skeptic in me kind of does draw upon that point because a lot of these artifacts seem to be the same things they seem to be a lot of things from childhood right so there's 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 dolls there's playthings, there's toys um there seem to be a lot of personal items there's a lot of jewelry which again you know it people it, the things that people invest a lot of emotional almost almost to some degree illogical emotional attachment to right right um paintings paintings are another one they seem to be another one that are haunted so what struck me when i was researching it is the majority of these objects are things that people are very emotionally attached to now that may be why it's you know one argument could be that's maybe why it's stimulating this activity and spirits or demons can uh, you know somehow pick up on that and attach themselves to those objects a, a, a psychologist may say that um, maybe that is people, you know, instilling some kind of emotional uh, connection with an inanimate object that is above and beyond what's logical. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to imagine the mindset of our demon, though, who's like, well, this felt doll is the exact thing that I'm looking for. Yeah. And yet it seems quite powerful anyway, because without the doll's body, it's allowed, you know, it can go down and um, mess with brake cables and push people off their motorbikes and stuff. So what what good is it? Is it just having a laugh? Yeah, well, apart from the the bit about the levitation, you know... It's not like the doll, people have seen the doll move or seen the doll attack anyone. Like you say, it seems like the spirit can do that, if it is a spirit, can do that without, you know... It's felt friend. Yeah, exactly. Unless, you know, it's some kind of booster beacon that allows it to do it. I don't know. But again, why a doll? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So maybe it's the emotions being invested in that object which give it some sort of power yeah that's quite a nice theory definitely yeah because i suppose 
you yeah you don't really have any emotions invested in the mug as i suggested but if you've been given a doll by your mum then even as an adult woman yeah maybe you invest in some something in that yeah yeah exactly exactly and you know childhood toys whether it like you said that these people in the story were not children but you know you do have that emotional connection with your childhood toys it does bring back those memories doesn't it and it does mm. it kind of stirs strong emotions i remember i had <laughs> it was not it's not a paranormal story but i had this little cheap kind of clicker thing that i got out of a cracker when i was a kid and i lost it on a beach and I was upset for a week. This thing probably cost like a penny to produce in China and you could pick it up anywhere. But somehow I had this huge emotional attachment to this object when I was a child. So you can see that, uh, you know, if you either believe in the stone tape-like theory or whatever, that if any of that energy transfers into the object, you know, you're giving it an immense power above probably its station, if you see what God, I mean. well, I hope no one finds it, because it'll have a sand demon <laughs> in it. Yeah, yeah. It made a great clicking noise, though. I, I remember that. those things. They were very, very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. They were kind of like um, the uh, a fidget spinner of the past. Yeah, exactly. Back in our day. Oh, we, yeah. didn't, have, we didn't have your spidget... I can't even say it. Fidget a spidget spinner. Spidget finner and your yeah. mobile phones, your telephone devices. Um, should, we, should we have another story? What do you yeah. think? So I picked this one because, uh, as, as our listeners will know, uh, the TQM podcast head office uh, is a haunted pub in Oxfordshire. Uh, and I believe, Ben, we've talked about this before, but... There is a seating area in the pub which has some yeah, paranormal It has powers, more activity right? than anywhere else, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah so it's, it's a, it's a two-seat table by a place which used to be the main door into the pub, which has since been bricked up and moved. Well, I'm going to tell you this story about a pub chair. Oh. And it's called Busby's Death Chair. Oh, that sounds like a fun story. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is quite a weird one. <laughs> is that the same Busby from the BT adverts? <laughs> no, oh. I really don't think so. I wondered what uh, happened to him. Yeah, well, so uh, in, in honour of our haunted pub and our haunted chair, let's tell you this story. Um, so this is about, uh, uh, obviously, a pub artefact. The pub in question uh, was known as Busby Stoop Inn, and it's in Thirsk in Yorkshire. Uh, it's, it was named after the original owner, who is also the protagonist of the story. So this story begins in 1702 with Thomas Busby, who was a petty criminal and owned the pub and had a quick temper. One evening, he got into an argument with his father-in-law. The next day, his father-in-law's body was found dead in the woods near his home. The police soon linked Busby to the murder and arrested him. A jury came to the same conclusion and the authorities sentenced Busby to death by hanging. On the way to the gallows, which incidentally were outside his pub, strangely, uh, Busby was permitted a final request. He asked if he could have one final drink in his pub. Busby had spent many evenings in the establishment, obviously, enjoying pint after pint. Some nights he had as many as five or six pints of ale. Today, however, he only had time for one. It would be the last time he would enjoy his favourite ale sitting in his favourite chair in his pub. Since the gallows were just outside the pub, the guards didn't see any harm in indulging a man his dying wish. As the guards signalled it was time to go, Busby stood up angrily and announced, Death shall come swiftly to anyone that dares sit in my chair. He pointed to the chair that he had knocked over as he abruptly stood to leave. That day, he was executed on the stoop outside his beloved pub. So this is in 1702. Over the years, there have been dozens of documented deaths that are believed to be related to Busby's curse. The first was a tired chimney sweep who sat in the chair to rest for a few minutes. He fell off the roof to his death shortly after getting out of the chair and returning to work. There are various stories over the years, but I'll just pick a few of them. During World War II, airmen stationed near... 
nearby frequented the tavern. Some thought the story about the cursed chair was pure rubbish and laughingly sat in the chair telling Busby to come and get them. None of these men who sat in the chair returned from the war. Many more deaths followed for those who dared to sit in the chair, including a young man who suffered a heart attack, a hitchhiker who was run over, and a motorcyclist who lost control of his bike and was killed. In 1967, two Royal Air Force pilots crashed their vehicle on the way back to base after taking turns sitting in the cursed chair. Both were killed upon impact. After this incident, it was impossible for the tavern owners to ignore the link between the chair and the deaths. Some may have been bad luck or just coincidence, but all these deaths soon after sitting in the chair was impossible to dismiss. There was something evil about the objects and the chair was removed from the tavern and stored in the basement of the pub. There were no further tragic incidents until a workman came across the chair while in the basement. He didn't see any harm in resting in it for a bit, so he pulled the chair out of the corner and sat down. After resting for a few minutes, he got up and resumed his work. He died later that day. A roofer also found the chair in the basement and sat in it for a while, fell to his death within minutes of getting out of it. A cleaning lady tripped over a box on the floor and fell into the chair. She soon died of a brain aneurysm. And then a delivery man uploading some boxes in the basement. Spying the chair against the wall in the corner, he took the seat and had a short nap. An hour later, he crashed his delivery van and was pronounced dead. Uh, So, just example after example in the end the pub owners uh, donated the cursed chair which is also known as Busby's death chair to the Thirst Museum it's actually on display there still so you can go and see this thing Uh, they hang it high on the wall in the museum cottage kitchen so no one is allowed to touch it just to be on the safe side outside the inn the gallows where Busby was hanged can still be seen and the ghost of Thomas Busby has been reported near the gallows and inside the building. So this time, what are we thinking? That it's uh, it's the spirit of Busby who is sort of associated with that chair and is causing ill to people that he doesn't like. Yeah, yeah, or anyone. It seems from the examples... Well, at first it seemed like all the examples were people who challenged him, who just said... You know, well, what I think is interesting, if, if you, you know, if you take an open mind of it, so let's say we go with the story that this yeah. is this guy Busby. What I thought was interesting is while the chair was in the pub, it was almost people had to challenge it, right? And then it would kind of act. The stories that seemed to come out of when it was stored in the basement, it was as if it wasn't getting fed. So it kind of did away with that principle and just by sitting in it unknowingly, then suddenly that could cause harm to you. Oh, I see. So he's kind of, it, it he has set out to almost be a soul reaper. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, the sceptical side of me goes, well, let's have a think about some of these stories. Number one, it's a pub, right? Mm. <laughs> so lots of alcohol is being consumed. So, you know, like the first one with the guy, he's a chimney sweep. He's had a few pints at lunch and then he gets up on the roof. Mm. <laughs> His odds of falling off must have gone up considerably by the probably four or five pints he's consumed in that time. So, you know, I, d- I don't know. I kind of, I mean, it's a great story and it's got kind of nice key elements that you, you kind of think make it work. Yeah. I wonder if anybody has seen the spectre associated with that chair. Does it does it mention whether his his ghost is still seen in the pub? Uh it does, yes, yeah. He said he's still seen that and it's not a pub anymore, it's an Indian restaurant, so you know, oh. I, I don't know whether Busby is kind of delivering the poppadoms spookily as he kind of walks through the restaurant, I don't know. Oh. Well God, that's a good place to Haunt, isn't it? An Indian restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that sounds lovely. Well, it's better than a pub, even. So, so that's so. So, in those two stories, one is a demon and one is a really annoyed, cantankerous old man. Yeah, who, who basically, 
instills his spirit into his favourite chair in the pub that he owned, which right. is quite which is quite interesting. And I love the fact that uh, the gallows were outside his pub, and they they must have been there forever. So there must have been a complete irony in the fact that he would left the pub, he would leave the pub which he apparently owned or at least kind of drank there every day after his last pint took about kind of five ten yards and then was kind of hung right outside it it's, yeah yeah it's amazing yeah that is that is strange mind you i've been to the skirid inn in wales and that's got uh, a gallows inside it because they used to have uh, the judges would travel around the area and there was um, a courtroom <laughs> inside the pub that's brilliant i love the fact that some judges gone oh, i can't be bothered to go outside how can we solve this problem and I can keep drinking? Yeah. Put the gallows inside. And then we can all watch. Yeah. We can Got all it. have a drink. I, I, we, I, and we think Sky Sports in pubs is intrusive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it would put you off, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure I'd be so keen on the pub if that was the case. But it, it is worth pointing out that, as you say, there is a table in in our uh, in our HQ pub but it's nowhere near as sinister. If you annoy the ghost, she tends to just pour beer onto your lap. Yeah. Well, she, I'm glad, she won't I, kill you. I'm glad she's got less of a temper than Busby, at least. Yeah, That's yeah. That's good. Yeah. She's just mischievous, I think. <laughs> Should we talk about James Dean? Always. And his uh, his Porsche. Yeah. Who Do you know what his nickname for his Porsche was? Uh, the Little Bastard. Exactly. So you know a bit about this story. Mm. Um and this is, yeah, this is this is a, a great. I mean, I'm a, I think, but you know, I think we have to confess an interest because I think we're probably both James Dean's fans and we're both mm. kind of fast car fans. So it's kind of Certainly. got everything for us. This story. So yes, James Dean's beloved sports car, which he named Little Bastard, was said to be cursed on September the thirtieth, nineteen fifty-five. The Little Bastard was in a head-on collision that killed the Rebel Without a Cause actor. Reportedly, Dean showed the car to Sir Alex Guinness during a lunch meeting. Guinness surprised him with a warning. I'm going to try my Alec Guinness impression. Are you ready for this? If you get into that car, you would be dead by this time next week. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> good. I like um, it. Good, yeah. I thought I'd give that a go. Uh, I'm hardly Steve Coogan, but, you know, it's worth a go. Um, so, uh, so Alec Guinness's prophecy that uh, that. James Dean would be dead by this time next week actually came true as Dean was killed in a collision just a few days later while driving the Porsche. This is where it gets even spookier. The wreck vehicle was bought by George Barris for $2,500 which he was going to use it for spare parts. A mechanic who was trying to salvage all the parts was crushed when the car fell on him. The intact engine was then sold to a doctor who installed it in his hobby race car he was killed while driving the car soon after the engine had been put into the into his race car. The little bastard's drive shaft was installed in another race car and the driver was killed instantly when the vehicle malfunctioned and flipped. A young man who bought two tyres from the Porsche uh, and the first time he drove his car after installing them, the tyres blew simultaneously causing a near fatal crash. Ironically, the wrecked car was then donated to the California Highway Patrol safety exhibit. So they put it in storage while they were waiting to set up the display to display it. Whilst in storage, uh, there was a mysterious fire. It destroyed all the cars and other items in storage except for the Porsche. Several strange events occurred while the car was on display on the exhibit. Uh, which may be the reason the car is no longer on display there, and in fact its whereabouts are unknown. Yes, it's, it's disappeared, hasn't it? It has, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, it's one of those stories that's got all the all great elements. It's got this kind of, you know, iconic movie star. It's got this incredible car. Again, worth a Google of the car because it's not your kind of 911-looking Porsche. It looks like a race car, right? Well, yeah, it probably yeah. was a race yeah, car. Yeah, it looks right? quite small as well. Yeah, yeah. 
But, you know, why I'm not so convinced by the... uh, that this is actually paranormal is the fact that it's a race car. You know, James Dean crashing and killing himself in his race car. I think the odds were pretty high of that happening, right? The fact that all the parts were put into other race cars effectively or incredibly fast cars that ended up killing or injuring their drivers you know I I mean there's been a couple of documentaries recently about Formula One and American racing and safety I mean at that time you know there was something like in the American uh, version of Formula One one in nine drivers would die in a season right Right. so that's very high it's not like it is now where cars are kind of relatively incredibly safe and the technology is such you know so they were difficult to drive and they weren't particularly safe. So a number of deaths around a racing car effectively and the parts that came out of the racing car doesn't surprise me. I guess the only surprising thing about this story is uh, the fire that broke out and the fact that everything was destroyed apart from that car. Yeah. The, the thing about that story as well is that it sort of means that the car... Because it was brand new when it arrived with him, that it was almost had to be born evil. Right, right. And that just seems strange. And the and the Alec Guinness thing, I think it's the sort of thing that anybody would say to somebody else if they knew that you were a reckless driver. And, and had a car like that. Yeah, exactly. You go, oh, you're going to be dead within a week if you drive Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of thing that, you, you know, your mother would say if you bought a motorbike. It's the same deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as, um, as Alec Guinness might say, that was not the paranormal story we were looking for. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have to edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> no. So... <laughs> So the last story I wanted to talk about before... Uh, so there's two more things I want to talk about. Okay. One, I want to give you one more story, uh, and then I want to talk about eBay. Okay. So the last story part is... I think we were talking earlier about the type of objects that seem to feature in these stories. So, you know, dolls and toys, jewellery... The other one that comes up a lot are paintings. Mm. And in a way, that makes complete sense to me. If you think of, uh, if you've ever read Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray, it's a great spooky tale. You could see that, and I think the themes that he was picking up on that is, there's something about art that somebody especially if you buy an original piece of art that somebody has literally physically put all their energy in a one-on-one relationship with it and that you then because you're the owner of it have a one-on-one relationship with it forgetting the subject matter and all the kind of emotions that a piece of art can instill I think just that principle makes it something unique Mm, definitely so unsurprisingly, there are lots of stories about original paintings and their effects on their owners. What I think is interesting about the one I want to talk about is uh, it's not about an original piece of art. It's about prints that were made. So in this story, it seems that there's something in the image itself that's intrinsically spooky or paranormal or evil or whatever you want to call it. Okay. So this is the story of The Crying Boy. So The Crying Boy is a painting that was created by an artist called Bruno Amadio, and he created it in the 1950s. The painting was then mass-produced and sold commercially at many locations throughout the United Kingdom. But then something strange started to happen. A mass of house fires broke out in Yorkshire and Rotherham, And the only thing that wasn't destroyed in these homes was the crying boy painting. It was found in perfect condition still hanging on what was left of the owner's house's wall. 
This didn't go unnoticed by firefighters. One firefighter, Alan Wilkinson, logged more than 50 of these house fires. Firefighters would warn people not to buy or hang the print on their walls. So firefighters in the area became incredibly suspicious of this painting. 50 Um, is a lot. Yeah, yeah. In that area, that's a lot, right? Right. And it's such a lot. And the fact that the firefighters uh, were effectively warning people not to buy this painting and hang it up it was picked up by the sun newspaper the big uk tabloid newspaper in 1985 Uh, so they run various stories about it interviewed various residents whose houses had burned down and the picture was still remaining so the sun in uh in typical flamboyant style said that they'd come up with a solution They organised a big bonfire, invited the public to bring or send their paintings. They were going to burn all the crying boy paintings and hopefully stop the fires. Reportedly, more than 2,500 prints were sent to the newspaper. Uh, I couldn't find any detail of whether they actually did this or not, so if anyone knows and can remember back that far, if they did actually do this bonfire, it'd be great to find out. So let's talk about the painting itself Uh, because it's got an interesting kind of backstory. The boy in the painting is said to be of a street orphan called Don Bonillo, and local villagers called him Diablo, which obviously we know is uh, devil. Devil. The artist who painted the picture adopted the boy, who was a street orphan. Now... There is a bit to this story that apparently he didn't adopt him for altruistic reasons, that there was some abuse or something going on with this artist, and that's why he adopted these street... He adopted a number of street boys, basically. You can probably imagine what was probably going on. Um, It's claimed that after the artist painting the picture of the crying boy, his studio burnt down. Amando painted more than one boy. He painted several different boys, all reportedly street orphans like Diablo. Amadio claimed that he tried to capture the boy's sad spirit on canvas and he may have inadvertently captured something far more sinister. Now, interestingly, in 2010, uh, the radio presenter and comedian Steve Punt uh, did, uh, did an investigation on the crying boy painting. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the show, which actually again is worth a, a YouTube, if you if you search the crying boy punt pi, the radio show was called. He actually filmed his attempt to try and burn the painting. So that's available on YouTube if you do a search. Punt set fire to the painting, but the flames wouldn't spread. After getting an expert involved. He concluded that the painting was covered in some kind of fire retardant coating, which explained why it wasn't burning during the house fires. Now, it doesn't explain why there were lots of house fires that happened in that area. I mean, not that I've gone into the statistics of how many house fires there are in, you know, Yorkshire during that period. But, you know, it would explain why this went along now what i think's great about this story it doesn't really fit into any of the categories that we've talked about it's not replaying the same events um it's not one object so it's not the object that if if it is haunted it's not the object that's haunted it's the image itself that's causing some kind of haunting yeah. Which, which makes it an anomaly to a lot of the other stuff we've talked about and probably most of the versions of these kind of stories that I've read. Re- the fire retardant coating on the painting would explain why it survived after a fire and maybe that's where the mythology of it kind of yeah. took hold. It makes me wonder whether, you know, because at that time as well, you've got Athena selling loads of prints... And if they'd put the same coating on the tennis player lady without her knickers on, (laughs) whether the the rumour would be that she had a haunted ass. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so it sounds like there's a sort of... There's an amount of 
popularity of this particular thing yeah because it's being sold in loads of locations and i think and for it's our, trendy. and i think for you know for our for our listeners who may be a little bit younger than we are who don't quite get why <laughs> why people would buy something like this and stick it in their home they you know there was a time when people would buy a lot of these kind of replica prints of specific paintings i think one called the laughing cavalier which i remember my uncle had and lots of people had in in their yeah. rooms so yeah it kind of makes sense but i think the mythology there's something about i mean again do a google i'm not i'm not sure why i would stick that painting on my wall but um there's something about the image that lends itself to this kind of story there's something about the backstory of the artist um and i think once the firemen and fire services were almost officially telling people not to put them in their homes for spooky reasons it's why it got picked up by the mainstream press but i I did look back at some of the articles i mean this was front page news right you know and again for those who are outside the uk the sun is the biggest selling and was back then as well the biggest selling daily newspaper in the country yeah so you know it was taken quite seriously so i don't know if steve punt totally debunked this story but you know he's definitely put a pause for thought on it but i i thought what was interesting was uh the fact that now prints, not original artwork, but prints by this artist on eBay can fetch anywhere between £4,000 and £10,000. So that there's something, which, which got me to thinking about, there's something about these haunted objects that people are intrigued by and for some reason want to own. So I I found an article that was uh, in the New York Times towards the end of last year, uh, which talks about how a lucrative trade in haunted haunted items has developed on eBay. Uh, And I did a little search, actually, before we started recording this. And there are multiple items for sale on eBay that claim to be haunted. And these range from... £20 to kind of £3,000 plus if they've been in a kind of haunted museum or whatever. Um, there was a recent example that was featured in the New York Times article, uh, which was a haunted teddy bear. Uh, now, interestingly, because eBay have strict rules about what you can claim on an item that many people have had to write disclaimers to say, you know, if this thing is not haunted or whatever, you know, you you can't come after me. But some of the sellers have got quite clever in the way that they word it. So the seller of this teddy bear wrote, I do not take any responsibility for if anything at all happens, such as blown fuses, divorce, etc. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was quite interesting. Blown Uh, fuses, divorce. (laughs) You've got to get your priorities right. But yeah. this te- this teddy bear ended up selling for four hundred and seventy pounds on eBay. I see. I really want one, but well, let, at let me the just, same time. The other thing I found that was very funny in uh, these are some of the interactions between the buyer and the seller. So there's a bit of me that goes, "Why would you want to buy one of these things in the first place?" But there was. I don't, I'm not quite sure what the item is, but. Uh, here are a couple of exchanges buyer I'm disappointed I got this item and nothing has happened seller you have had the item for less than 24 hours these things take time (laughs) (laughs) another one this is not haunted not sure how they ensure spirits go to the good people which I don't quite understand the seller said she is as described it takes time please be patient yeah your demon will get there so, but Man. you talked about, and we, we've kind of alluded on this while we've been talking. My first thought after I read this, these tales of these things on eBay, because, you know, they start at like 20 quid, right? So yeah. it's not like we have to kind of fork out three grand to buy one. No. I was like, oh, let's just buy one and then we can kind of see if anything happens. And, 
And then suddenly I realised the kind of power of these objects, like we were talking about earlier, even more powerful in some ways than a ghost sighting or a haunted house. Yeah. My first thought was, yeah, but I've got to bring that into my home. Mm. And my family are here and they've not signed up for all this paranormal stuff. And, you know, the chances of it being some kind of haunted, possessed item are you know absolutely zero in my mind but still there's a bit of me that goes i'm not sure i want to bring that into my home even if it is a fake yeah that's right that's the thing is it's the same reason or that i'm i'm wary of ouija boards because i don't want to invite something in and then i because i don't really know what i'm doing and bad things to happen like I'm very glad that my house isn't haunted and I don't want it to be. So, yeah. and and if it, if we get it and it you know there's a demon as, attached to it. I that's my own that's my own stupidity for inviting that thing in. Exactly. Or or even like I said these things somehow are powerful whether it's purely in your mind or there is you know i think there's a scale isn't there there's it's purely in your mind to the next level being just like anything an object you know you could be transferring some kind of energy or even even just chemicals you know it makes me think of if you eat food if you eat a soup with a um a brass spoon or a silver spoon or a stainless steel spoon or a wooden spoon the taste will be slightly different because of mm. the way that the 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 liquid interacts with the the solid object that you're using to eat you know there could be some kind of mild process that is putting some kind of energy in i guess that's how crystals and people who believe in that kind of think of it and then you've got the opposite end of the scale where you believe a kind of demon could attach itself to one of these objects and there is something about it you know i'd happily go and spend a night in a supposedly haunted mansion but i'm very fearful about bringing even one of these what let's be honest scam objects into my house isn't that weird i don't think it's weird because i've i don't know what i think about them i've seen a lot of videos on youtube that I can't quite debug. Have you seen that one? It's called Mr. Fritz. No. It's a it's a ventriloquist's dummy that was made by an American POW in a, a German World War II prisoner of war camp while he was incarcerated. And he took it back with him to the States and then it found its way to the UK. There's a there's um a guy in the UK who sort of does what Ed and Lorraine Warren were doing. He has a paranormal um, sort of uh, traveling show. And this thing is just a head. And it, it, he's made a video of it where it opens the cabinet in the middle of the night and its eyes and mouth move. Right. But, I mean, it looks incredibly convincing. But you could say, well, that's the guy's living. Yeah. And you could put some radio controlled motors in there and make it work i think to really convince me i would have to have a camera inside the head so that i could see that things were moving and even then i'd probably need to see it with my own eyes yeah on the other hand if it's real i don't want that thing within 100 yards of my house yeah because if i've got I don't know. The spirit of a World War Two, either veteran or Nazi. I mean, one's more preferable to the other. Yeah. But if there's chance of having a ghost Nazi in my house, I'm not taking that chance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I think, are we concluding that we're not going to buy an item off eBay? <sighs> well, I'll t- tell you what we'll do. We'll be complete cowards here. Yeah. What, what would be great is, I, I, I think this... this topic is something we should return to at some point and the things that I think we've not covered are you know if we go back to how we started it and uh, 
the descriptions of the three different types. There's there's the object, this is Karen Fraser's descriptions, the objects that effectively replace the same thing over and over again, because I'm not quite sure how that works, but we've got those, we've got the ones where you can, like the piano example, where you can sit down and kind of get flashes of uh, mm -hmm. previous owners and what they did. And then you've got the ones where a spirit has attached. I, I'd be really interested if anyone out there has got anything that fits into one of those three categories and is willing to share their story with us, even if yeah. it's just via email. And yeah. And I think we can do, because these are all, the ones I've covered today are all very famous in this field. You know, these these are the kind of Premier League uh, possessed objects. It'd be great to find some listeners' real examples. And, you know, as we've said in the past, they don't have to be some huge narrative. It could just be something, whenever I touch this object, it it makes me feel weird or I have I start to cry or whatever it is. So we'd love to hear from people. So we'll put the details uh, in the podcast information of how you can get in touch with us and it'd be great if we could get your stories. That way and we don't have to buy one of these objects. What do you reckon? Well, that's true, although... I'm going to be Googling them after this. One thing we can do with very little danger is go and check out the ones downstairs in the pub when, when all this self-isolation is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the landlady said that we can go and sit there and we'll see if we get beer uh, pushed on us. over us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think that. Yeah, well, I think that's one of those ones where the, the, the ghost likes that table. So, I, as I understand it, she is a free-roaming ghost, but but she is particularly attached to that table. <laughs> Got this vision of us walking in, go two pints of your cheapest lager, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got to be it's got to be it's got to be the good stuff. It's got to be real ale, I think. All right, all right. Well, like I said, if you can. Um, oh, I think the other thing. So we'd love to hear your stories. If you think you have an object that fits into this kind of paranormal phenomenon. I'd also love to know if anyone listening to this has bought one of these objects on eBay and if they, oh gosh, yes. if they what their experience of it has, has been, you know, good or bad. So I think we'll leave it there, but, you know, I think we will return to this topic at some point, do you not think? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, but I'm not going to suggest we start a P.O. box where these things <laughs> arrive into. Um, also, I want to know if anyone's got anything, something that's like ridiculous that's haunted like a packet of crisps right yeah that um do, do you know what i mean something yeah. where you just go what's going on what's going on yeah. with that there must be somebody somewhere that's got some monster munch from the 80s <laughs> that's that haunted. is possessed by a dinner lady yeah. and moves itself around the house and they can't bring themselves to to throw it away because that'll you know render Brenda <laughs> into the afterlife where she doesn't want to be. She She's very happy possessing these corn snacks. And they've probably not told anyone because there really isn't a three-movie three deal in that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> no, although there is, like, pr promoted on the front page of uh, My Sky yesterday was the film Drone, and the the blurb was, I think, not exactly word for word, but it's an evil serial killer downloads their consciousness into a consumer drone. And they do use the word consumer. It's like Alan Partridge was allowed to do Brilliant. the short blurb for that movie. And so it's, it's a bloodthirsty drone. Is, of, it, is the conclusion to that movie it accidentally flies into a tree well yeah or, or just runs out of batteries because yeah. i've owned a drone they have about a 35 minute lifespan <laughs> and the batteries click in and out of the bottom if your spirit is inside the drone and you don't have any form of manipulation you are you are dead after 35 minutes that's uh yeah well if you've got a haunted drone as well let us know out there yeah, well, I, I reckon if you can sell a haunted drone story, I can sell... Oh, do you know crisps. what it'd be called? It'd be called Six Pack. 
That's, some people might think it's a completely different podcast. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's a play on it's a play on words. They go, oh, it's going to be a sexy man, but no, no. it's six assorted flavors of Smith's crisps. <laughs> they are possessed by six different devils. On that note, I'm off to go and have some salt and vinegar squares. Yeah, do you know I really want some crisps? <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to have some crisps and uh, we will be back very soon with the quantum mechanics. See you next time. See you soon. If you do have a story or just want to leave us a comment, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, It's at TQM podcast or just search the quantum mechanics and find us that way. It's worth uh, following us and checking those feeds out because we will be posting images and other information that does relate to the uh, podcast. So, Um, Well, we hope to uh, see you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. Are you The Quantum Mechanics?